$12 million a year for this university. Get some facts and come back and see me. I've been reading books of old, the legends and the myths, Achilles and his gold. This isn't going to be one of those book studies where we go, here's the top ten ways that the fossil record confirms Christianity. But that's that's not what this should be. It's been that way far too long, but it shouldn't be that way. We all have the same evidence. The unbeliever has the same evidence as the Christian has. So the question isn't whether one of evidence. It's how are we looking at the evidence? How are we measuring the evidence? And is that measuring stick internally consistent? That's what we have to examine. We have to know our measuring stick well first, though. That's, I think, we've missed the boat a lot. Hey guys, welcome to Skiologians. Another episode joining you on this bitter cold morning up here in Leadville, Colorado, Shovel Lake Public Radio. And um, I wanted to do just a quick short episode because um, it, we're coming up to 2021, and 2020 has been, for some people, a pretty challenging year. Uh, for others, maybe not as much, but it's definitely been different for everyone. But But I wanted to do a show because I want 2021 to be a great year for you, and we always are setting, you know, New Year's resolution goals. And I think as a believer, one of those goals should always center around the growth of your faith, the growth of the knowledge of God. And this past year for me was one of incredible growth. And I did a lot of uh, reading and studying. And I've been very fortunate to have my testimony be defined kind of in a way where I've constantly been reformed by the truth of Scripture. Um I've been fortunate enough to have the one anchor to my faith be that um, Scripture must be the ultimate authority, the infallible truth, uh, the revelation of God, the very words of God. I've always believed that, and that has been the compass that has guided me as I have learned from teachers, read different books. And I have not always read, now looking back, books that have been completely consistent with uh, correct exegetical biblical teaching. But I've been fortunate enough to be constantly reformed because I've held to that. So what I want to do today is share with you some of those books that I've read. But now that I've read them, I I think there is a way that you could introduce them to someone who's kind of brand new to trying to improve in their theology and their knowledge of uh, Christian doctrine. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do today is, is present... Um, a, uh, a book list that would be really beneficial for any Christian to start 2021 to really set a goal of going through. And what we want to do at Skiologians actually is do a book study with these books. So if you're interested, then you can go ahead here now and and purchase these books and be ready to go. And uh, the choice of my intro music actually it was pretty random, but then as I'm listening to the words, I want something just like this. It... it it sort of uh, caught my attention almost as being appropriate in the discussion that we're about to have because um, I think what every person wants is truth and truth is 
uh, a place of internal consistency in your in your worldview. And the unregenerate heart hates God, and more than anything, wants uh, or you know is unwilling to bow the knee to God, which is unfortunately for them the only way to have internal consistency. And so they suppress that truth and unrighteousness. That's what Romans 1 talks about. And yet there is this this thought in my head that that they truly do desire to have that peace and the the glory that comes with a consistency in truth and worldview and revelation and in submission to God, really. But the, the thing they're unwilling to do, being worship the one true God, is preventing them from that. Um, and <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's just me rambling off on this song, but let's get on to our important things. So this, um, this is important, I think, because as a Christian, I think too often people are, are confused about what it means to grow in the knowledge of God and grow as a Christian. And I think they often think that, you know, by spending a lot of time worshiping him, they're close to him. Kind of like if you spend a, a lot of time at a coffee shop with a significant other, you get to know them better. They kind of view their relationship with God in a similar way. Or they think that any type of Bible study, even if it's just getting together with people and, and sharing what's going on in your life, is growing in your faith. Um, and and I I don't believe that that is true. I do believe that those things can be important. Well, obviously, worship is very important. And I also think that getting together with um, friends and getting together with other believers and sharing the struggles, the very real struggles of your very real life, is a part of the Christian walk too. But I don't think that actually y- you can provide real support and help for your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ if you if e- neither one of you are grounded in the truth of the Bible. And being grounded in the truth of the Bible is actually a process of sanctification that comes about when you um, seek to know the true interpretation of the Bible. That is not something that you do just by walking out into the woods, being alone with your Bible and feeling the Spirit move you. Um, that it, that's not how language it works. It's not how communication is. It's not how the revelation of God was handed down to us. And and it does require a little bit of sweat equity in, in some regards, but it also requires proper sweat equity. Um, and you, you could go into the woods and worship for five hours, and that would there would be a lot of sweat involved there. But you might not really get anywhere in terms of knowing God truly. Um, but there. And so, and so, I think the the immediate pushback might be, well, how do you know that these books that you're you're pulling out are are good and whatever? And again, I'm going to go back to this is a fortunate part of my testimony. I, I believe one of the most uh, glorious parts of my individual testimony, I will say, is that um, I have I have not budged on sola scriptura even before I knew what sola scriptura meant. And so my standard for evaluating teaching has always been, is this consistent with the entire Bible and the entire interpretation of the Bible? And I, I'm not a biblical scholar, so it is not as if 
I could pick up a book and read it and go, yes, this is consistent with all of Scripture, or no, this isn't, because I don't know all of Scripture. So there has been times in my life where I've picked up books and thought that this, you know, this guy's saying it's consistent with Scripture, and maybe it is. But then you come back to that, too, when you discover that this isn't consistent in some other way. That's why, you know, this is a process of uh, that takes some time. But now I do feel confident coming into the, the amount I've listened to and read that I, I have found authors and uh, theologians who um, have become extremely reliable in the sense that, you know, you see them debate other theologians and you, you find those internal inconsistencies in their doctrine and their theology that um, that now that the theologians and authors that I'm following that there's there's very few if any and and the ones where you're where you're going okay this might be up for debate it is up for debate in a very uh, Christ-like way so I don't know if that makes sense but essentially what I'm t- what I'm telling you is I'm not the standard of truth of determining whether or not an author is, is, is giving us good teaching that is re- a reflection of the consistency of the Bible. The Bible is the only one, and you should be challenging all of that with the Bible, but you should be challenging that with proper interpretation of the Bible. And there's a lot of um, um, parts of Christianity and groups in Christianity that are really, really not consistent with a consistent uh, hermeneutic of the Bible, a consistent interpretation of the Bible. And they, and they rely far more on... Um, uh, tradition or philosophy and I, I I believe my heart wants to believe at least that they're doing that kind of unknowingly they they do believe that they are being consistent with the Bible but but they're really not they're reading into the Bible because of a philosophy or tradition and they're kind of unwilling to give that up because what that would mean might mean that people before them were, were off and again this is a fortunate part of maybe my testimony is that for whatever reason I my my strings have not been that attached. So if I find something that in my past I was maybe off biblically consistency-wise, I'm okay just throwing it aside because my loyalty to um, the ultimate authority of Scripture is so much stronger, I just really don't care. And I I don't think that's true for every person, and I I understand that, and I can uh, sympathize with that. Um, And we see this actually in in full cults and denominations. You know, if you look at the Mormon faith, a huge thing that would would cause them to not come to a true faith in God is is the consequence that that would mean that that everyone in their family would be so lost and and all these other things they've done and they're unwilling to do that same with Jehovah's Witness but getting down a side a sidetrack there because what I really want to focus on here is people who call themselves Christians but are unwilling to be reformed by the Bible and they go and search for people who say they are interpreting the Bible who support what their current thoughts are and they're not um, they're not allowing consistent hermeneutics to to be the final arbitrator really so um, anyway you can decide to go uh, you're full of it you know I, I'm gonna keep reading my people and you keep reading your people I guess um, but I just want to tell you that I, I am coming personally from a place where I, I don't have any prior uh, loyalties to a certain tradition, you know, I, I grew up in a, a Lutheran church. I would certainly consider myself to be, uh, if I was going to give myself a label, uh, a reformed believer now, um, I, I, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's certainly where I, I fall in line. 
I have I have many um, what would be Calvinist beliefs doctrine I guess um, but but again I think even Calvin himself would be so offended by that title his his idea would be just uh, the internal consistent interpretation of the Bible this is what we're exegeting from the text um, and, and that's I I know that a lot of other um, denominations might might sort of claim that but they're they're really not being disciplined and willing to let that let that follow through uh and and that's really evident when you listen to debates between people from different denominations over many different doctrinal issues it just is it's uh, um but anyway again sidetracked so there's sort of my preface again you can you can decide to throw it aside if you want um but i i think if there is one thing that's kind of special about about my testimony and as i come to you with this list of books that have really um changed my life and changed it not in a dramatic emotional sense but um as much as they've just changed it in having a rock solid foundation understanding of the beauty of the internal consistency of the christian worldview understanding why it's important to defend it understanding how to defend it um understanding that um uh, just, just all of those things have come from a place of scripture is, is the ultimate authority. That's been the guiding light for me, even before I understood or had good reasons really to believe that to be true. Um, which is kind of remarkable because I haven't, ju- I haven't been incredibly, incredibly sheltered. I've gone, you know, to, uh, colleges. I've been in public school. So for the fact of the matter that I didn't really understand all of the good, objective reasons why I could have that faith, uh, but have now come to that is, is pretty remarkable that I wasn't lost or swept away in the process. And we're going to kind of get, get to that as well today that I, I do think it's possible to, um, come to, uh, a, a believing faith, but, but not actually understand the grounds for your faith. And thus when when presented with a different worldview or a secular uh, worldview and all of those, you're unable to spot the glaring inconsistencies that those worldviews bring because you don't even understand the beautiful consistency of your own biblical worldview. Um, that, that I think happens very often. And I think, sadly, it might happen more often for young people coming from generally conservative Christian communities. And perhaps that the reason for that, I think, is there's not the stark dichotomy of worldviews that are constantly evidenced and, and vis- visible for the young person to analyze. Um, I think maybe I should just break it up now, but I think if you, if you were to say, what's better? Is it better to have my child or myself in a community and in a school that is way far secular or one that's way conservative or something in the middle, you know, and I think the most dangerous ones are the ones that are somewhat in the middle or even leaning towards conservative because at a government school, for just talking schools for sure, uh, a conservative government school is not going to preach biblical truth as the ultimate standard anyway. Now, they might live out many of the morals and values that are from the Bible, but they're not going to equip 
the believer to defend their faith from a presuppositional apologetic. There's no way. And so if you are raised in that environment, you are not really trained to understand the objective reasons you have for your faith. And thus, when you or if you ever leave that, you are easily dismantled by the secular worldview. And and I think the threat is that you will walk away from your faith. And if you never leave that place, I think a greater fear is that you have a false or self-decepted you're full of self-deception over what your faith really is because you're never really challenged to equip yourself to defend that faith because you don't have to. You're not being opposed. So I actually would think that that as a, I, I would not want to raise uh, my own children in that kind of environment. I would rather shelter them myself, equip them to defend their faith um, and ha- and understand their objective reasons for their faith understand how to defend the biblical worldview, understand that the biblical worldview is the necessary beginnings for all intelligibility, so that when they go out into a world, and I would I would be fine placing them then in a very, very secular world, they it, it will actually benefit their Christian faith because they will see just how black and white the world actually is. It is when you're when you are equipped and knowledgeable in your in your Christian walk, walking around in a secular worldview, it's it's just incredible. You see the scripture come to life so vividly because you see Romans one and its consequences in such clear uh, such clear picture. Um, to me, that's actually been a little bit of a benefit for my my faith because there there's no confusion. It's Yep, here's the biblical worldview and all of its glorious consistencies. And there, right there in front of me, is the secular worldview with its glaring inconsistencies. I can just see it, you know. And uh, it, it is kind of sad. I think in America, my biggest criticism of that, of the conservative Christian, you know, wing of the United States, 40% or 50% claiming to be that, is they have no clue what their real faith is either. They aren't standing on a good defense of it, most people. And and so they they are I don't know if I'd say they're they're the same type of fool that the Bible presents uh, the secularist to be. And by fool we're not saying a lack of intellectual muscle. Um, secularists, people, unbelievers have incredible intellectual muscle. That's not the some what the Bible's talking about. It's fools in the sense that because they're not bowing the knee to, to the one true God, they're actually dismissing reality to begin with. So they're borrowing from the Christian worldview to use, uh, make usage of their intellectual capacities only by, uh, you know, a grace of God that they're even allowed to do that. Um, but basically all of their intellectual work that they're doing has no grounding um, given their worldview. Anyway, so um, why... Why is it important to to study these things? Is it truly a matter of well, I don't need to focus on that, and I sh- and, and if I'm not interested in it, that's okay. Um, I want to challenge that in the sense, in, in a couple of senses, I guess. The first reason that I would say that it's important is it is a commanded in the scripture to be ready with a defense and with an answer, and I think that's a lot more. Again. 
this is more than just making sure you have memorized the top 10 reasons why the fossil record proves the Bible. I don't think that is what Paul is talking about when he says to be ready with a defense. That can be part of your defense, but the essence of that is being able to explain to the to the unregenerate heart why um, uh, why the Bible and why faith in God is is a necessary beginning for all intelligibility. And so to reject that is is to reject the possibility of reason and logic altogether. Like being able to explain that is a is a much more convincing thing because again, if we're just going to present evidence, the unbeliever will also just present evidence. And you will be battling over evidences. And this is why the presuppositional approach is so critical because it it is come to the realization, the correct realization, that we are not arguing over evidence. We are arguing over the starting points. And so the job of the believer, first of all, is to understand his starting point such that he gets that this has to be the uh, true starting point. We're talking about the Bible because without it, we have no we have no laws of logic. We have no reasoning. We can't account for uh, anything that would uh, be in the, the laws of nature. None of that can be accounted for. And, and the secular worldview is inconsistent internally. And then we, so we have to expose that. So I think that's what the command is in terms of providing a defense. It's much more about being able to show that your worldview has internal consistency and accounts for reality. That's probably the best way of saying it. It's being able to show that your worldview has internal consistency and correctly accounts for reality. And then the evangelistic part of it is is being able to communicate with the unbeliever in a way that shows them that there is a folly in his worldview in terms of inconsistency and not being able to account for things in reality and um, praying over them and praying that the Holy Spirit will change their heart of stone to a heart of flesh and be willing to bow down to their creator whom they know but are suppressing in unrighteousness. So the first part is it's a command to understand how to defend your faith. And the second part that I kind of already just touched on is it's the evangelical tool that we need. It is the evangelical tool that we need. The reason I would say that is if you are saying, well, no, I can bring someone to faith without understanding all of that. I can I can pray with them. I can develop a relationship with them. I can demonstrate how important Christ is in my life. And then over time, I will lead them to a saving faith as well. That might be true, but you have to remember that what you have won them with, you have also won them to. And if you have won them with a belief that lacks a foundation and an understanding of the of the foundation of your faith, you've just won someone to that as well. That's a believer that we talked about at the beginning that, that could easily walk away from the faith if the secularist presents their arguments because they don't understand that those arguments from the secularist have no grounds um, in reality, in terms of internal consistency and accounting for those things. So I would challenge that, that in order to be even an effective evan- evangelist, it's important that you understand what foundation you're standing on. <clears throat> and that's not just Jesus is my boyfriend, and you should have him be your boyfriend too. Um, the So those two things, first, it's a command. Second, it's an evangelical you know, it, it is our evangelical sword, so to speak, because it is the Bible. And third, personally, it is <clears throat> the way 
that we grow in our relationship to God because the idea of growing in the knowledge of God is understanding that all knowledge begins with God. And the Bible is very clear about the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge is God. And this is something that is, um, I guess, has taken on some different meanings for me again in my Christian walk until now realizing what all of Scripture says about the knowledge of God. And I, and I think it's very clear that this is much more of an epistemological comment in the Scripture um, more than some sort of emotional feeling of praying that the knowledge of God falls upon you in some way. This is definitely the, the Bible's defense of itself in saying you can't account for reality without starting with the Scriptures. Um, and, and so I, I find that my individual, if we're going to go here, relationship with God is strengthened when I know more about God. And I don't think anyone would disagree on that. The question then is, well, how do we define knowing more about God? And I would say the only way we know is by his God-breathed revelation. And so it is through correct interpretation of God's clear communication to us. And this is why it, it is so important to hear preaching that is exegetical, that is giving us that singular interpretation of the Bible. God, if, if the scriptures are God-breathed, they have one interpretation, despite potentially having many applications to your life. Um, it, it is not logical that God, it's not a logical possibility, in fact, that God would present us a God-breathed scripture with many possible interpretations. Um, I think when we understand the singular interpretation that is there, and and that's following the rules that are that that the scriptures have given us on how to interpret the scripture, right? These aren't an, it's not an outside source of authority that we develop the rules of hermeneutics. It's biblically based. It has to be self-authenticating in that way. When we come to that knowledge of that interpretation, then we're then as a Christian we are able to grow in maturity in that we can apply it in different ways, and we can grow in maturity in that we can handle some of the more complex readings in scriptures that are harder to understand. There is the milk of the word that is clear and easy for everyone, and then there is the meat of the word, and and that is that is in reference to that hermeneutical spiral that that the meat of the word is understood as you grow in maturity and you repeat that hermeneutical spiral over and over again coming back to it in the same way that when we when we learn more about our language we are using language to learn about language but we don't start with anti-disestablishmentarianism we start with cat dog run um and so that that is a process and it's a it's gradual, but I think, again, if you're someone sitting there thinking very philosophically about these things, you you probably had the same questions I did, which were to start starting out, okay, wow, it's very fascinating that our faith is the necessary precondition for all intelligibility and and it confirms reality, but but I gotta see how that's true again. I, 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 uh, maybe you've, maybe uh, you convinced it to me once, you explained it once, but I need to see that again. We're going to, I'm going to show you some, some texts that present that information to you in a, in a very, very readable and understandable way first. And then, a, and then a, a little bit more depth, a little more complicated 
um, an, another text that does it in a little more in-depth and Vantillian style later. And, and then the next step is, I think, once, you've seen, once you see that, the cornerstone of that becomes the revelation of God, that God breathes scriptures. And so the next question I think, you know, that I have is, okay, how can I know to defend that as my ultimate authority? Because even if I convince the unbeliever that, look, we're not having a discussion here about evidences, we are having a discussion about ultimate authorities. Okay, this is great. Now we've got them here, and and this is a fun discussion that we can have. Let's lay out our worldviews and and um, and see how they're consistent. Well, for the believer, we have to understand how how we can have confidence and faith that the scriptures are self-authenticating. So one of one of the books in our list has to do with that. And then the next kind of logical step is okay. Now I see my worldview. I see its foundation is the Bible, and I've learned more about how to defend the authority of the Bible. What would be next? It's now I need to understand why is it that I can trust that there would be only one interpretation of the Bible or that my interpretation would be correct? How do we read the Bible? And so I brought about a book that is is about hermeneutics and and interpreting the Bible. And so this does kind of flow in a logical uh, step step formation like that. That's the Cedar Skier uh, book reading list of 2021. The year that will take us out of 2020, actually 2020 has been a great year for me, but that's another story for another podcast. So uh, the next the next uh, text, what is the next text that I have? Now I can't even remember where I was going on my train of thought. Um, so we talked, oh yeah, hermeneutical spiral. That was how to interpret the Bible. So then once you can trust that um, there is this, you know, self-authenticating method by which we interpret the Bible, I think it's important to to reach out to, well, to understand what the Bible says in terms of key doctrines. And so this is really the what we've done so far is, is given the foundation for how we develop doctrine, but what are those doctrines? And so I have two books on on key doctrines, I believe, that, that every Christian should understand. There's three of them. One of them is the doctrine of grace. One of them would be the Trinity. Um, and then a third one I think is, I don't know if it's really, you can call this a doctrine, but sola scriptura, an understanding the importance of that. <clears throat> so I have seven books that are going to change your Christian walk this year. So here I just explained the logic behind them. The first book that that we're going to read is The Ultimate Proof of Creation. This is by Jason Lyle. And the reason I chose this is because it's readable. It's not super long. You can approach it. He defines terms if they're complicated. And it's a great introduction to um, what presuppositional apologetics is and understanding what worldviews are and how we defend the Christian worldview because of its foundation in the authority of the Bible. And Jason Lyle is an astrophysicist who is also a theologian based out of Colorado Springs, and he has written many incredible um, texts and has lots of awesome lectures defending Genesis um, but uh, and defending, well, uh, astronomy on this, and a Christian interpretation. And he, he's really an incredible resource for the Christian because he's kind of at the top of his field, even in, from a secular standpoint, you know, in science. But then he also understands the presuppositional apologetic and and his his Bible. It's just he, he is a he's a Swiss army knife for sure. But that book is is going to be really enjoyable to read. It's a fun read. 
Um, and it kind of introduces all of these topics. So that's our book that is going to, again, start us off with this understanding that without the Christian foundation and without the Christian worldview, we can't account for anything in reality. And it, it's going to juxtapose the secular worldview and its inconsistencies along with the Christian worldview and its beautiful consistencies. And it's not going to focus on evidence. Lyle has plenty of evidence. He can go to it, but he, he understands that it, this isn't an argument over evidence. He understands that the that both the believer and the unbeliever utilize rescue devices and, um, and they interpret evidence in light of their starting point. So Lyle is going to bring a Greg Bonson, Van Til, presuppositional approach to us in a way that that is I think more understandable to read and also if there was just one book that you read this year and it was that one I think you would find that your faith would be in a completely new place so um, I want to start with that one right away and I'm hoping it will ignite some enthusiasm for these these topics so then the next step is we've established that the authority of scripture is necessary well how do we know? How can we believe in the authority? And the next book we're going to read is Canon Revisited uh, by Michael Kruger. And this text is longer, but it's also very organized. Kruger is an excellent writer in terms of um, how he structures his text and he provides his references in a really nice, neat way. This is a book that you, sh- you know, at colleges and religion courses should read this book, whether it's you know, meant to support believers or not, because it really, it lays out the self-authenticating method of the Bible in such a academic way. I found it to, I, I kind of felt like I was in a religion class as I was reading it. And you can, you can um, cite or, or look up all of his citations and it, it's just really clean that way. But, but the point of it really is that now that we believe the Bible is a necessary starting point for intelligibility, uh, we can, because of its self-authentic, uh, self-authenticating nature, we need to understand how it is self-authenticating, and that's what Canon Revisited does. So after we've understood that, we, we're coming on to how do we interpret the Bible, and we're going back to a Jason Lyle book called Understanding Genesis, and I would rate this one as a much more complicated uh, book, but again, still readable. Lyle's, Lyle does not use uh, language that is um, exhausting and hard to <laughs> swim through. It's more that when you read it, you go, wow, oh, wow, wow. And then you read 100 pages, all of a sudden you go back and <clears throat> you're walking around and going, that was amazing. I agreed with all the internal consistencies, but, but you couldn't really maybe explain it. So it's one of those texts you might need to read again. Um, but but this is how we learn about hermeneutics. And I do think from a, if you're talking about just the idea of her, the hermeneutical uh, uh, spiral, this is probably, you know, an easier book, <laughs> an introductory book to that, because I think in, uh, you know, theological studies, if you're going to, um, you know, a seminary, uh, this book would seem kind of elementary surface level in some ways, but the discussions in it are awesome. And then he also, the book is called Understanding Genesis. And, and the second half of the book, he has actual conversations with someone over the doctrine of the Trinity and over um, creation, long earth creation is, uh, you know, along long old earth interpretation of Genesis, all some of those touchy topics that I think um, some people have, have tried to go, well, I think it's possible to believe 
uh, both the Bible and what the secularists wants. And, and um, there's some really important distinctions there as well, you know, in terms of, you know, phrases such as science says, or when we interpret nature. Lyle really dismantles phrases like that by showing that you can't use language like that. Science isn't a person. We don't interpret nature, nature right? There's propositions we make that's different than interpreting scripture, things like that. Um, really important. So that one, uh, you know, if we're still hanging on and you're still with us to read through that one, I think um, is a challenge, but really important. And then the fourth section of our studies are books on key doctrines. So I've chosen two books that are really important to me um, in really laying out uh, a consistent interpretation of the whole Bible in terms of salvation, the doctrines of grace, which when you read that book, the, the gospel really becomes incredibly glorious as a command. Um, Forgotten Trinity. I need to reread that because the Trinity is um, often, I think, presented to Christians as, well, that's just something that's so confusing, but you just got to take it by faith. And and then we raise up all these people that are, they, and that's only because the, you know, whoever told them that just didn't understand the Trinity very well. So now we kind of think of the Trinity as this unapproachable doctrine that, you know, don't even worry about trying to explain it because you never will be able to. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know. It's important to understand at least the, the biblical support for the Trinity, you know, and the support for the Trinity and the reasonings that the Trinity would be an essential doctrine. Because I, I think before understanding that, I used to kind of think that how, how can someone say that the Trinity is an essential doctrine? And, and, it, and the reality is, is it's a logical conclusion that it's essential because of the nature of atonement and the requirement for Jesus to be God to satisfy those roles. So things like that where it's like, oh, okay. We, we have to approach the Trinity as something that can be um, understood despite the fact that, or I should say the mystery in the Trinity is different than the mystery that is often presented to young believers. Okay, there, It's not that there's no mystery, but we, we, we misidentify what the mystery is. So... Doctrines of Grace, Forgotten Trinity, Sola Scriptura. I would say that's kind of an optional book because by this time you might already be kind of convinced of that, but but in terms of understanding it. And then finally, I would say the the last book, this would be the seventh book, and it could as well be the first book that you read too, but we kind of did it Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe style in some ways in that um, I think... <clears throat> for some people, it could be hard to read this book first, and reading it last would become the most edifying way of doing it, and that is presuppositional apologetics stated and defended by Greg Bonson. <clears throat> so that that's going to be similar to ultimate proof of creation, but it's gonna um, it's gonna really come at, come at at us from a I don't know if philosophical bent is the right way, but but kind of like how we do discourse with unbelievers in terms of evangelizing and what is the Bonson is going to analyze people even Christian brothers and sisters within the presuppositional you know sect so to speak so um it's 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 a little more intricate and I think if there was a book that you know I would say not 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 diving into as a requirement for salvation it might be that one (laughs) I guess yeah, yeah, I'm kind of joking a little bit there, but but I think it, it's under you know there's going to be a certain type of person that starts reading that and goes I can't put this down, and there's probably going to be a type of person that is going to read that and go I don't I can't even get past the first page, and I think the goal is that after reading the other books 
if you are that person, you might be able to navigate it better. Uh, because I've found that with some books I've I've bought too, where when I bought them and tried to read them, there was too much there for me to digest in every sentence. But after going to other texts and reading them in a little more simpler language, you come back to the complex one and it, and it makes a little more sense. And, and all of a sudden, the clarity uh, and 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 the actually conciseness of those authors that you once thought seemed way too complex. It's sort of opposite of that. So there's our book list for 2021. I'd encourage you to um, go and find some of those texts so that you can join us for some of our book studies. We're gonna. I'm not sure if we're gonna do like create lectures or if we're gonna have live class discussions. I'm still kind of thinking on that. I'd like to gauge some interest on it and see who's interested in in doing this and what kind of times would work. It, do we want to do a J term and just like, you know, start January one when, when maybe some people are, are have time off and, and really, really cruise through a few opening books, you know, and, and set up ourselves for habits to get into the word every day and to study the word a little bit every day. You, you know, is it going to be 5 a.m. sessions or is it going to be, you know, Saturday night? I'm not really sure what we're planning for that. So I'm open to ideas. If you want to join us with that, that would be awesome. Uh, but that's all for this morning, Sunday morning, uh, Skiologians episode. Hope you enjoyed listening to this and, and the appetite has been at least whetted a little bit. Um, have a wonderful day and a wonderful Christmas season.